0: Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. We are going through the gospel of Mark, but Mark does not record this examination by Herod. Luke is the only gospel that does so. That's the reason why we are departing from Mark this morning and looking at Luke chapter 23, verses 6 through 12. So let's read those verses beginning with verse 6 in chapter 23. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. For he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and he hoped to see some miracles done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him with a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became... As I mentioned, today is the third examination of Jesus Christ, not found there in the Gospel of Mark, but in this particular passage only. Let us first take a short review so that we might know where we are, especially for those that might be visiting with us... As we have gone through the Gospel of Mark, we have seen that Jesus and His disciples observed the Passover and instituted the Lord's Supper. After that, they left the upper room and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed on that night. He returned and found His disciples on three different occasions asleep. And then on that last occasion, we see that a mob had entered into the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. And they arrested him around midnight and then they began to lead him out of the garden in Gethsemane to, first of all, Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, there at his home. And then we see that Caiaphas shortly joined Annas with the Sanhedrin and they did a trial and they sentenced Jesus for blasphemy. Now we see that Jesus Christ goes to Pilate. And they, they could not examine him, or not examine him, but execute him. They were hoping that Pilate would. Now, before Pilate, we see that they were charged, Jesus was charged with three different accusations. They were charged him with blasphemy. And we saw last week that none of these charges included blasphemy. And of course, the reason why, Pilate did not care about such a charge. So they bring three other charges against Jesus, perverting the nations, forbidding others to pay taxes, and saying that he was Christ a king. But as Pilate examined Jesus, we see that he does not bring up the first two. He only brings up the charge of his kingship. And he mocks Jesus. And Jesus answers his question when he asked him if he was a king. He tells him that his kingship and his kingdom was not of this world. And of course, we know Pilate did not understand that because he did not have a spiritual mind to perceive it. And then finally, Pilate tells the chief priest and the crowd, I find no fault in him. Of course, this did not make the chief priest and the crowd very happy. They began to shout out to Pilate, as we see in verse 5 here, even in Luke. But when they, had, they were more fierce, saying, He stirred up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Now when Pilate heard the word Galilee, that got his attention. He thought he had found a solution to his problem. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus, so therefore he thought he could just simply pass him off to Herod because Herod was over the jurisdiction of Galilee. So we see there in verses 6 and 7 that Pilate makes this decision to contact Herod and send Jesus over to him. We don't know exactly where Herod was. He could have been in the same palace that uh, Pilate was in. It doesn't give us that information. We just simply have the information that he was sent to Pilate. So we see that Pilate seeks to get Herod to take care of this unspeakable difficulty which he was faced with. Now it's obvious that Pilate did not want to have anything to do with Jesus. He did not want to execute Jesus. So therefore he simply seeks to pacify the hatred of this group and therefore turns Jesus over to Pilate. But we see also that he does some harm to Jesus, hoping that they will have pity on Jesus. We'll see that next week in what he has the soldiers, how cruel they were to Jesus. But we'll also see that this was not successful either. Now Pilate knew legally that he could send Jesus to Herod. Because in those days, a man that was arrested and accused of a crime could be tried in his birthplace or where his residence was established or where he committed the crime. And here we see that Jesus was accused of committing the crime in Galilee, which, of course, was Herod's jurisdiction. Now, he hoped that this would free him of having anything to do with Jesus. But yet we see that this is not the case. But when we come to the conclusion and seeing is how evil men come together in an effort to destroy that which is good and righteous. They're seeking to destroy Christ. There's people today that seek to destroy Christianity. But we know that all of their attempts fail. Just as Jesus stated, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now we've been set apart by God's grace. As we looked at last week, we are to stand boldly for the truth and proclaim the truth to all nations. Now this morning, I want us to look at four points that we find in this particular passage. First of all, I want us to look and examine who Herod is. Children, this would be a good question at lunchtime when your parents sit down with you and they ask you how many Herods were in the Bible. And you're going to turn around and you're going to give them the answer. There are actually five Herod's that are mentioned in the New Testament. The first Herod is very well known. He was Herod the Great. He himself was of the lineage of Esau. He was an Edomite. And his family had no right to the throne of David, since they were not of the lim- lineage of David. But yet we see... Barrett's family did some unjust things to be able to get them the title of king during the Maccabean period. The Edomites adopted the, uh, the Hebrew religion, and we see that his particular family, through murder and deceit, was able to unlawfully attain the throne. He gained the favor, matter of fact, of Octavius and Mark Anthony, and they were the ones that persuaded the Senate to give him the kingship of Judea and had the great ruled from 39 to 4 B.C. Now you have to remember who was born in 4 B.C. Jesus was not born in 0 B.C. Jesus was born in 4 B.C., Now, that's another sermon for another day, a history study. We're not going to look at it now. But remember, Jesus was born in 4 B.C., and we see that Herod himself was still alive at that time. Now, he accomplished much as king. As a great constructor, he built cities, theaters, stadiums, and even restored the temple to its once glorious state. He also developed an aqueduct system there in Jerusalem. So he was a great builder, but yet he's not known for any of those things. There's one thing that Herod the Great is known for. Children, do you know what that is? What is Herod the Great known for? What did he do after the birth of Jesus? He had all the males, two years and younger, slaughtered. So he was a very wicked man, and that's what he is known for. Determination of children. Now, Herod the Great had three sons. Herod Archelaus, Herod Philip, and Herod Amphithus. Now, there's another Herod who is the nephew of Herod Amphiphus, who we are looking at today, and that was Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa, of course, was the one that had James the Apostle, Martyred. So we see here that these three sons were each given a portion of the who is the true king will soon have a thorn of crowns thrust onto his head and a robe of mockery placed on his back. Now like his father, Agrippa was an adulterer. He took his brother's wife, Philip, and they eloped while she was still married to Philip. And we know that this adulterous relationship was brought about as far as confronted by John the Baptist. He confronted Herod and he rebuked his sin. And he, in turn, arrested John the Baptist and put him in dungeon. And of course, we know that his wife Herodias was behind this and later she even got her daughter to request John's head would be given to her as a gift after she had danced at his birthday party. Listen to what Mark 6, 19 says. Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. Now we're told that when Herod heard about Jesus being there in Jerusalem and that Pilate had him, he thought that he could be entertained by him. Now he had heard about Jesus earlier, And he had even said that he thought that Jesus may have been John the Baptist raised from the dead. Now, he also indicated that he had seen John the Baptist in the form of a ghost. So in other words, we must say that John the Baptist must have been haunting him. Of course, it was all due to what he had done, his wicked actions in putting John the Baptist death, so he felt guilty for this. He, though, was a monster. He was fleshly. He was cruel. He was greedy. He was just like his father. Luke tells us in Luke 13, 31, that some friendly Pharisees, now you didn't know there were some that were friendly Pharisees. Of course, we know two of them, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimatheus. But it says, some friendly Pharisees told Jesus, Herod wants to kill you. So early on in Jesus' ministry, we see that Herod is desiring to kill Jesus. Now, it doesn't say the reason why, but we see that he desired to kill Jesus. And then it goes on in Luke 13, 32, and Jesus calls him a fox. He says, go tell that fox. So he calls Herod a fox, indicating that he was mean, crafty, worthless, sly, One who preyed upon other people. Now no doubt Herod heard the gospel many times, but he rejected the gospel. And we know that he heard many times because what? He enjoyed listening to John the Baptist. And what was John the Baptist constantly preaching? Well, he was preaching the gospel. So we know that Herod continuously rejected the gospel. And the guilt of putting John the Baptist to death stressed him out. And even rejecting the gospel even stressed him out more to where he had a lot of guilt put on him. He was a troubled man. There's many people just like Herod in our day. They're filled with guilt due to their sins. Guilt of their sin. And they continue to reject the gospel. Such a person is a fool to reject the only source that can help them have relief from their guilt and their sin. Now second, we're told that Herod was pleased with this particular opportunity to meet Jesus there in verse 8. He says, Now Herod, now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see Him because he heard many things about Him and he hoped to see some miracles done by Him. Now, we can't help but wonder why would he be pleased exceedingly to see Jesus when earlier it said he desired to put Him to death. Well, there's a number of explanations to this why. He may have been flattered that Pilate gave him the opportunity to see Jesus, to be able to make a judgment against Him. In these proceedings, even though Pilate was simply trying to get by, not even having to make a judgment. He may have seen the opportunity as a wonderful time to fulfill desire to kill Jesus that was mentioned earlier. But no reason is given to why he desired to kill Jesus. Maybe he was like his father. He saw Jesus as a threat. His father had seen Jesus as a threat, so therefore had all the children, boys, under two, put to death. Now, it may have been simply that he was fascinated with Jesus, just as he was fascinated with John the Baptist. Listen to what Mark six twenty says. Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him, and when he had heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So we see that Herod listened to the preaching of John the Baptist. And after putting him in a dungeon, he would actually go down and converse with John the Baptist. And John would continue to talk to him, continue to preach the gospel to him. So we see, likewise, that he is interested in Jesus. Maybe he thought that he'd be like John the Baptist. Maybe he thought that he was John the Baptist raised from the dead, as mentioned earlier. Now we're told that for a long time, he had been wanting to see Jesus. Now he could had officially interrogated Him, as we see there in verse 8, the latter part, and he hoped to see some miracles done by Him. So we see quite clearly the main reason was to be entertained by Jesus, because we heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracles done by him. In other words, he hoped to see a great magician, a great performer, some tricks. He desired to be entertained by Jesus. Some things never change as far as people are concerned. Many go to church for that very reason today. I mean, they want to be entertained. They don't want to be preached to. I know of a person who attended a very large SBC church. And they saw all the things that were taking place and they were simply amazed by it. They said the music was great. They had a band. They had lights, strobe lights, food, the crowd. It was so exciting. My question is, what about the gospel? Not the music, not the lights, not the food, not the crowds. What about the gospel? Was the gospel preached? Some go to church to see supernatural events. They want to see people speaking in tongues, healings, being slain in the Spirit, demons cast out, and even worldly performance. We live in a day of thrill seekers. People want to be excited. They want their flesh stirred up. And people can get caught up in this stuff and lose all sense of what is right and what is wrong. Herod was like his father, Satan, also. Remember, Satan came to Jesus, and he likewise wanted to see some stuff by Jesus. He asked him, first of all, to turn the stones into bread. And Jesus said he will not do it. Man should not live by bread alone. And then he challenged him to jump off the temple. And he wanted to see the angels catch him. And he said, you should not tempt the Lord your God. But like I said, things haven't changed. People want to see that kind of stuff. Listen to what Derek Thomas said. The world wants to see temple jumpers. Actually, the church is full of people who would love to see temple jumpers. They want miracles. They're not content with the Word of God. They're not content with the preaching of the Word of God. They want a miracle every week of confirmation. And there's those that are like that. That's why they go to church. They want to see some kind of excitement. If you'd have come early this morning, you could have seen excitement. Right, Hal? Just about the whole back was flooded back there. You could have taken part in that excitement and helping clean it up. So we have excitement around here sometime, just not in our service. Well, we may have it in our service, but not intended excitement. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 39. A wicked and adulterous generation asked for miraculous signs. So the next time you hear people say something pertaining to signs, boy, I'd like to see some signs in our church. Repeat that verse to him. You know what Jesus said about that, don't you? Jesus said that a wicked and adulterous generation asked for miraculous signs. Now Jesus could have done all kinds of wonders before Herod, but He wouldn't have done one thing as far as spiritually speaking for Herod. It wouldn't accomplish one thing for Herod. Even if Jesus would have been raised from the dead... Herod would have said, well, they stole his body. So he wasn't going to be convinced by signs. Beware of those who give all kinds of excuses and justify the rejection of the gospel. There are those who will say, oh, if I could just see this, then I would believe. No, no, they would not believe. We see that a lost man cannot accept the things of God, for they are foolishness to him. J.C. Ryle wrote in a sermon on Herod, There are many great and rich men like Herod, men of God without faith, and living only, men without God, I'm sorry, men without God, without faith, and living only for themselves. They generally live in an atmosphere of their own, flattered upon, never told the truth about their soul, tyrannical, and knowing not will but their own. No will but their own. Yet even these men are sometimes conscious, stricken, and afraid. And then he continues and says, Like Herod, their conscience produced within them a morbid curiosity to see and hear God's witness. Their heart is linked to the world by a chain of iron, tossed to and fro by a storm and lust and governed passion. They are never at rest while they live. After all, their fitful, fit, fitful struggles of conscience. They die at length in their sin. This is a painful history, but it is the history of many rich men's soul. Let us learn from Herod's case to pity famous wealthy. Men, let that be true with us learn from Herod pray that our church will never never ever choose entertainment over the word of God we don't need miracles we don't need signs to prove that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave we have the infallible inerrant word of God that teaches us His truth We must believe and trust in what the Scriptures say about Jesus. Jesus didn't stand in Herod's court to entertain him. But he stood as our substitute, our Savior, our Redeemer. He would not perform before Herod. He would no more turn stones into bread at the request of Satan. And therefore he would not. Fulfill Herod's request either. Third, in verse 9b, we see that Jesus answers him nothing. Now you may wonder, why in the world did Jesus just stand there? Why did Jesus not answer him? Well, John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, I think, gives us a reason. In John chapter 2, beginning with verse 23, Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in His name. Now notice that. Many believed in His name. They believed in the name of Jesus. When they saw what? The signs which He did. So they were overwhelmed with the signs that Jesus did, the miracles that Jesus did, and they believed in Him. But Jesus did not commit Himself to them because He knew all men. And had no need that anyone should testify of him, for he knew what was in man. Do you see see the picture here? Do you understand what is being said? There are people here that say we believe in you, Jesus, after he does the miracles and signs. And it says Jesus did not commit himself to them. Why? Because he knew their heart. Their heart hadn't been changed. They were excited over the miracles. They had some kind of emotional experience, and Jesus says, I'm not committing myself to them because I know who they are. Herod is typical of many who attend church today. They come under some kind of religious impression at some time in their life. They have some kind of emotional experience, but they depart without any real commitment to Jesus Christ. They never come to see their need as Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. They never come to see that they need Him as their Savior from their sins. They're simply curious. How do you know that? Well, one thing, they're bored under the preaching of the Word of God. They want, as I've already mentioned, entertainment and activities. Yeah, they'll join the choir. They'll go on a mission trip. They'll work with children. They'll go see shut-ins. But they have no desire for the Word of God. And if the Word of God in a sermon is proclaimed over 20 minutes, they begin to complain that the sermon has gone too long. John the Baptist had said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare you the way of the Lord. Lord. Herod had ignored the words of John the Baptist. And now Jesus ignores Herod. Jesus didn't come to yield to the will of men. He came to yield to the will of His Father. Matthew eleven twenty seven 27, "...all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father." Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son will reveal Him to. The Son is the one that reveals who the Father is. The Son is the one that gives us the wisdom and knowledge to be able to know the Father. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs. Cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and tear you in pieces. Jesus is talking about those who persist in their sin after hearing the Gospel. They blaspheme it. And they persecute preachers. They have walked in the way of sinners for so long And they have sat in the seat of scoffers for so long that they despised instructions of the Word of God. And therefore, they are set at odds with Christ and His words. In other words, what I'm saying, they are irrevocable. In return with the dogs to their vomit and with the pigs to wallowing in the filth, you can only expect them to trample Underfoot the blood of Christ in scorn and rage. They have sinned against the very remedy of their sins. So how can we help such a person? How can they be healed? Well, they can't because they reject the medicine. I mean, if you to someone and, you, and they just say now, the COVID medicine, we're trying to find a vaccination for it. Say it's found and you go to a person that has it and say, look, here's the medicine and they reject it. Well, how can they be healed then if they reject it? And there's those that reject the gospel. They cannot be healed because they continue to reject the gospel. It's plain that God decides to destroy such a person as this. In 2 Chronicles 25-16, the king of Judah, Amaziah, defeated the Edomites, and then he turned around and set up their false idols and sacrificed to them. And then the prophet of the Lord, it doesn't tell which prophet it was, it just says the prophet of the Lord came to him, and it said, so it was as he talked with him that the king said, have we made you the king's counselor? Cease! Why should you be killed? In other words, he's telling the prophet, shut up. That's what he's telling the prophet, shut up or I'm going to kill you. Then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and not heeded my advice. In other words, he's telling since you have not listened to me, God's going to take care of you. He's going to destroy you. Now some think that God would never do such a thing. Well, here's an instance where he did this, such a thing. And that's not the only instance in Scripture where God did such a thing. He's done it in the past, and He continues to do it throughout history. For God takes His glorious gospel seriously. He takes holy things seriously, and we must likewise. Any who continues to profane, trample the gospel underfoot, leaves himself open to the judgment of God. And there are those who think they can enjoy the world and live it up until they get all they want of the world and then they will come to Christ and they will accept Him at that time. To have such a view is to have a low view of the Gospel, a low view of God. Think that God is patiently, anxiously, just waiting for them to make some kind of decision. That's not the God of the Bible the god of the bible is full of power if you don't believe it just simply read the story of paul's conversion able to intervene in man's life even when they despise jesus christ as paul did one that would allow a man to continue to ignore Christ all their life until they're interested in him in the very end is a misinterpretation of what the scriptures teaches us. Jesus said to his heavenly father, I praise you father, Lord of heaven and earth, because what? Because you have hid these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Matthew 11:25 and 26. I mean, aren't you glad that we don't have to be wise, that we don't have to be learned, that we don't have to have a PhD to understand the gospel? That the gospel is so simple. That a young child can understand it and be saved. That little children can come to Christ and be saved. We have to understand that God is the one that reveals the truth by His Spirit and He also hides the truth. It's His prerogative to hide salvation from the wise and from the learned if He chooses to do so. That's His good pleasure, what Jesus is saying. And I plead with you not to take the gospel for granted. Not to take that one day you will be nearer to God than you are today. Thinking that you will continue to put it off. More serious then to receive Christ than you are today. No, the scripture says today is the day of salvation. Don't take it for granted that God will continue to receive you in the future. No, he says, today repent and come to Him. Fourthly, Herod showed just how irreligious he was and how he treated Jesus and all that happens to him. It says there, they treated Him with contempt and mocked Him. They laughed at Him. They scorned Him. They did all kinds of coarse things to Him. They made all kinds of gestures to Him. They did their best to torment our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in whatever way they could think up in their minds. This causes me to think of how certain individuals acted yesterday at the abortion meal. Every time you go over there, you see Him act like this. Sinful. Wicked. We pray, we sing, we preach, and they mock. Oh, how sad it is. Sad to see them act in such a way. Sad to see them mock the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sad to see them rejoice in the murder of unborn children. One day they will have to give an account. Now, of course, I pray that God would be pleased to save them save them. But if he doesn't, they will be judged for their wickedness as they stand out in front of the abortion mill and carry on the way they do. One of the guys said yesterday when he picked up the visiting speaker yesterday, he he told him about Ruth Ginsburg's death. And when the guy heard it, he said that he teared up. He began to shed tears. And he said, now... Ruth Inmore is in the devil's hell. But he had a compassionate heart. I mean, we would have loved to see her confess Christ as Lord and Savior. But she chose not to. I mean, we take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But yet at the same time, the Scriptures tell us to pray against our enemies, David did on many occasions, that God would destroy our enemies. I mean, there's a fine line. You have to understand the preparatory songs. They are still true today. We want wickedness removed from this earth. We want the gospel to conquer wickedness. We want Christ to reign. We want the wicked to turn from their wicked ways and to be righteous. But yet, if they will not repent, then we pray that God would remove them from this earth so that they will not continue their wickedness. Now here we see that they tortured Jesus in a way that they were more offensive than really the beating that he took. What I'm saying is words can often hurt more than a beating. You know what I'm talking about. And here we see that the words that they spoke to our Lord and Savior were unjustified. The Lamb of God, to be treated in such a way, he had never treated anyone in this way, but yet now they are treating him in contempt. Now of course, Pilate had I mean, Herod had the power to release him, but instead, he simply sends him back to Pilate. He met Jesus, he looked at Jesus, and he dismissed Jesus. I mean, again, what disrespect can a person show to the Lord of glory? Now, as a result, two irreligious men were drawn together that day, it says there in verse 12. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for before that they had been at enmity with each other. I mean, there's this shady deal struck between two hell bound sinners. One shuns Christ off to the other and then the other shuns him back to the other. We're not told how long their friendship lasted. But what we do know is that the enmity that these two men had against each other was laid aside for a while because they had a common interest. And their common interest was they despised Jesus even though they didn't want to have anything to do with Him as far as putting Him to death. And we often see this in the world today. Men of opposing views uniting in resisting the truth. Teachers of opposite philosophies uniting to fight against the Gospel. We see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't like one another, but they united to put Jesus to death. One common hatred bound them together. They hated Jesus Christ, who was the only hope of forgiveness of sins. We also know that there are not friends today. Because see, in hell there's no friends. Everybody in hell hates one another. Everyone there continued to show their hatred and their sinfulness. And Herod and Pilate in hell, most likely they're blaming one another for being in hell. You forced Him on me. You sent Him to my place. Well, you sent Him back to me. It's your fault, not my fault. Cursing one another. Blaming one another. Jeff Thomas says, What a difference Jesus makes to those joined in Jesus Christ in rich fellowship of the Gospel. There's neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For all are in Jesus Christ, Galatians 3, 28. But Luke is alert and wants us to be alert too for every sign that the world is becoming a new place through Jesus Christ and His crucifixion. If even Herod and Pilate had become friends through this, think how you too could be reconciled with anyone at all. Once you both came to the shadow of the cross, long feuds can come to an end. Broken relationship can be restored. Old enmity are forgotten through the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that in Christianity, in Christians, we should not be at odds with one another. We, of all people, should love one another. If two wicked men can have a friendship, then Christians must have a friendship. Christians must show love to one another, show love and mercy because of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we must not count the hostility of this world as a, must count it as a strange thing to us. We must not be surprised if we hear the words like what Paul heard there at Rome. The Jews in Rome came to him to meet him there in Acts chapter 20 and they said this to him, We know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They were talking against Christianity. Of course, at this time, it wasn't even called Christianity worldwide. It was called the way of Jesus. So don't be surprised if we are treated differently by this lost world. I mean, with different personalities and experiences and convictions, we are As Christians, to unite, unite with one another to oppose those who oppose the gospel. And when people oppose us, we should do like what my dear friend used to say, R.F. Gates bless God. That's what we should do. When you're opposed, you should say, bless God that He allowed me that opportunity. As Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. I mean, if you are of the world, it would say, love it. And you would love it. But we're not of the world. We're separated from the world. God has chosen us out of the world. Therefore, we know that the world will hate us. So why are we surprised when the world shows that it hates us? Again... I wasn't surprised yesterday when I was at the abortion mill that they were saying those kinds of things to us. They hate us because we stand for righteousness. They oppose us. When you stand for truth, you're going to be opposed. You're going to be hated. But that should not cause us to not stand for truth. We must be like Paul and continue to proclaim the truth even though they speak against us. We must be like our Lord and Savior, continue to fulfill that which God has given us to do. There's much we know that Christ could have done. But if Christ would have done those things, then He would not have died for us on the cross. As we know, He could have called down a thousand legions of angels. But no, He did His Father's will for our sake, for He loved us and was willing to die for us. And He has revealed that love clearly to us as we see here in this passage. And being treated the way that He was treated, the King of kings and the Lord of lords humbled Himself and was treated by man in such a wicked way. But He remained faithful to the task that was before Him And that task before Him was to be our substitute, to be our Savior. As we read earlier in our scripture reading, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and did not open His mouth. Why? Because He loved us. He loved us with an everlasting love. Do you love Him? John tells us in 1 John, we love God. Why? Because He first loved us. Do you love God? Is it evident that you love Him? Have you committed your life to Him, to live for Him and worship Him the rest of your life? Let us pray. Father, we thank You for such a great Savior a Savior that was willing to go through all that we have looked at this day and the weeks in the past for the sake of His people. Father, how we pray that we would respond in love and commitment to Him. I pray, Father, for those that sit here this morning who have never made a true commitment to Jesus Christ this day. I pray that today would be the day when they would repent of their sins and commit to Him as Lord and Savior. Do not allow any to leave this place, Father, and be like Herod, continuing to reject Him even though they've heard the Gospel time and time again. May today be the day of salvation. And may we as Christians, Father, be faithful in our commitment. May we pursue holiness. May we walk in the truth. May we proclaim the truth. May we stand boldly in the truth, especially in a day when wickedness is on the increase and so many are nominal Christians. Cause us to be the true light in this dark world so that we might have an effect on others. How we pray, Father, that you would be pleased to bring about an awakening in your church for your grace and honor. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.